The way that uh, Treasury agents are trained in how to determine what is a real or counterfeit bill is not how you might think. They don't get presented all these fake bills and show, are shown the mistakes that were made by the counterfeiters so that they can figure out who's making what mistakes. Rather, what, they're done, what they do is they give them real bills, and they spend so much time studying the authentic bills, looking at the security features, figuring out how they should feel, that when somebody presents them with a counterfeit bill, they're immediately able to say, this isn't the real deal, because they know the authentic bill so well. Last week, we spent time at the end of Acts chapter 4 and the beginning of Acts chapter 5, looking at the story of uh, three different individuals who gave to God. And we saw that there was an authentic, a real deal by the name of Barnabas. He was a man who gave a gift to God who had the right heart as he gave it. But then at the beginning of Acts chapter 5, we met a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And we saw that they were counterfeiters. They presented a gift as Barnabas did, but the, the, the gift was not as they advertised. Today, I want to go back to the beginning of Acts chapter 5. And as we look at this, we're not going to focus so much on the gift that was given. Rather, I want to look deeper into their motive. I, I want us to see how they were hiding behind a mask and pretending that they were something that they were not. So look with me at what Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11 tell us. It says, But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself and with his wife's full knowledge. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the pr price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. As he heard these words, Ananias fell down and he breathed his last and great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up, they covered him up, and, they carry, and carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet, breathed her last, and the young men came in, found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Now, if you missed the message last week, I encourage you to go online and listen to it so that you can see all that we looked at behind the gift and what God says about the way we should give. But again, as I said, the, the focus here that I want to look at again today is on the heart that is to accompany this. You see that the, the sin here was not in the amount of money that they gave, but rather it was the motive in which they gave. As you look, verse 3 says that it was Satan who was behind this. He was the one prompting them uh, to lie. Now, as you read through the scriptures, what you'll find is Satan is always attacking the church. And many times he tries to do it from the inside. You'll find where the Bible warns us that there, there are wolves, false teachers who will come into the church and they're in danger of destroying the flock by appearing to be uh, those who are in the church. You have the parable of the wheat and the tares that speaks of the, the real believer and the counterfeits that come alongside and the danger that there is there. 
there's a lot said about hypocrites in the church and how they try to appear uh, one way more godly than they are. As, as we look at the, the passage here, all of these things are, are dangerous to the church. There's a story that's told about a, a village in Spain. It was a, a small uh, village that did not have a lot of resource, but they were known for the type of wine that they, they made from the vineyards in that area. And one day the king of Spain was set to visit this village, and the people were excited because the king had never come to this particular region. And so the townspeople tried to figure out, what can we do to honor the king? What can we do to show our love for the king? And they decided that they would bring the best of the best of their wine, that each family, each villager uh, would bring the best of his offering, and they would combine this in a barrel. And they thought that by putting all these excellent wines together, they would create this this superior uh, drink that the king had never tasted. And so the day of the visit came, and each villager uh, came to the town square with their container of the best of their wine, they said, and they poured it through an opening in the top of the barrel. And the the king arrived, and and the barrel was there, and the, the townspeople gathered, and there was a big speech made. We love you, king. We want to honor you. Uh, To show our uh, honor for you, we've given the best of our best, and the story was told of the sacrifice of each family. And then the king was presented with a silver cup, and he was invited to dip it into the barrel and, and taste the best wine that he would ever have. And as he did so, he draws out the wine and he takes a sip, and he has a surprised look on his face. He, he looks down into the cup and takes another sip, and, and he, he, he says, this looks and tastes like water. Now, what had happened was not a reverse miracle where the wine was turned to water. But as each family brought their offering, as they thought about bringing this sacrificial offering of this this fine wine, they thought, you know, there's going to be so much excellent wine in the barrel that mine isn't going to be missed. And so if I just pour a little bit of water in my container, nobody will know the difference. But what happened is each and every villager had the same thought. And nobody poured an offering into the barrel. They simply gave a, a, a counterfeit offering of water trying to appear that they were honoring the king. This is something that the Bible warns us about. In Matthew 15, verses 7 through 8, it tells us, You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, the word hypocrite is a word we're used to. It's actually a literal transliteration of the Greek word hypocrite. And, yeah, I know. And so this word is one that you often uh, hear about, but I don't know if we understand the, the background. It was actually a theatrical term. You're, you're used to seeing thespian type of mask like this to represent the theater. And the reason for that is in ancient times, a, an actor would take a mask, and he or she would hold the mask up over their face, and they would speak a part Uh, that represented the character they were playing. Now, everybody in the audience knew that the the actor, the hypocrite, as they were called, was not really that person. They were just playing a part. And the actors oftentimes would play multiple parts. So they would hold a smiling mask up as they would deliver a one-liner or a joke. And then they would walk off the stage and come back with a, a frowning mask as they spoke a sad or solemn line. And everybody sitting in the audience knew that it was just a performance. They had paid to watch this show. The problem is, is that some of us have uh, continued to treat the world as a stage. 
And while people are not paying to watch a show, uh, we are hiding behind a mask and we're deceiving others by speaking lines or pretending to be something that we're not. This is what Ananias and Sapphira were doing. They tried to appear more sacrificial, more spiritual than they were. As you look at Acts 5.4, you see that the problem wasn't that they withheld some of the price of the land. Peter made very clear. He said, look, the land was yours. You didn't have to sell it. It was under your control. And once you did, you didn't have to bring a specific amount. You could have kept some of it. You could have kept all of it. He says, was it not under your control? The problem that happens is that they were not uh, misers. Rather, they were liars. They were trying to gain a reputation to which they had no right. They wanted to look like Barnabas, sacrificial givers while not uh, having the same level of commitment. They were trying to impress everyone by looking like they had a higher level of spiritual commitment. I wonder how many of us here have ever done something like that. How many of us have ever tried to appear more spiritual, more committed to Christ, more sold out to our Savior than we really were? Have you ever done anything like that? There was a pastor who was invited to the home of a family in the congregation. They wanted he and the pastor and his wife to come over for dinner. And as they were standing in the kitchen of this family, the pastor was looking at the refrigerator, and, and on it there were all these pictures and various things, but he also noticed there was this to-do list on the calendar. And on the day that they were there, it said, Pastor and Mrs. coming for dinner. Remember to dust all the Bibles and put them out around the house. <laughs> now, I can tell you that as a pastor, I've seen stuff like that happen before. And I'm not pointing fingers at people here and acting like I'm more spiritual than you are. Because I'll tell you that as a person, I run the risk, just like you do, of at times putting on a mask, wanting to appear more spiritual than I really am. Uh, this this uh, hit home to me many, many years ago, more than 20 years ago, when it was early in my ministry career. I was pastoring a small church out in a country area. And one day I came home from a service, and it was time uh, to have the meal. And afterwards, it was just my wife and I, and we would spend time praying together. And as I'm praying with my wife, there just came a point where she kind of squeezed my hand. She, you know, it's kind of like, hey, let's stop for a minute. And she said to me, she said, Roger, why don't you pray with me like you pray with other people? And she wasn't trying to be mean, but she saw how I prayed publicly. Sometimes you had those big Milky Way prayers, you know, you scrape the, the high, you're using all these big theological words, and, 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 and she just said, you don't pray with me the same way you pray with other people. I'll tell you, that was one of the most humbling moments in my life. As I looked at my wife, she was saying, Roger, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're like the Pharisees. Uh, you read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus was always hammering on the Pharisees. And one of the things he said there is they love these long public prayers, among all kinds of other things that he charges them with, with their hypocrisy. And I wonder sometimes how many of us do those things. As you think about... Uh, what we look like at Wayside. When people walk in here on a Sunday, what, what does it look like to people? You know, the sin of hypocrisy is one that can be fatal. Uh, we looked at this, this sin last week with Ananias and Sapphira. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, God sees our heart. 
He doesn't look at the externals like men do. And he was able to see the heart of Ananias and Sapphira, and he judged them. And we talked last week about why there was such a severe and immediate judgment. And you'll remember that it was because the church was in its infancy. And God was setting an example, and he didn't want others in the church to be doing what they were doing. And we talked about the, the problem of, of why it could be fatal. And, and the reason hypocrisy can be so fatal, not just to, to us as Christians when we play a game, but also to others. I mean, think about churches. What, what is the, the criticism you often hear why people say, I don't go to church? It's filled with all those hypocrites, right? Now, it's just an excuse, but what happens is our faking can become fatal to others as they stay away and they don't hear the good news of the gospel. I don't know if you've ever walked into a, a, an office or somebody's home and, and seen one of these big buck's heads with the antlers or maybe a trophy bass mounted on the wall. Uh, my wife won't let me put things like that up on the wall. Uh, <clears throat> but some of you have seen it. And if the taxidermist is really good, uh, you'll look at it and you'll go, wow, that looks almost lifelike. And the problem is some churches are like that. Uh, you walk in, and it's beautiful buildings. People look great. Uh, the parking lot is full of cars. There's lots of signs of life. And yet as they walk in, they say, something feels kind of fake here. Uh, something doesn't uh, look, it, it looks alive, but it, it, it's really not. And I wonder, when people walk into church, Wayside in particular, what do they see? Now, I think Wayside as a church is, is a really good church. I think we do a pretty good job of trying to be real. After the first service, I had some people come up to me and say, maybe you go to a different church than I do, Roger, but I didn't feel like Wayside is what you were describing. I feel like people here are real, and I'm glad that people are saying that. But again, ask ourselves, when somebody walks through the doors of Wayside, what do they see? I want you to watch this video and see if this looks like anything maybe you've experienced. Oops, go back. Not me. <laughs> She's having a little trouble there, uh, Ben. <laughs> Got to make that second entrance, you know, it wasn't quite right. <laughs> Maybe you know some of these people, I don't know. Sunday, we're getting ready for church. Brian? 
close because it takes me five minutes. Honey, perfect. seriously. Yeah. Well, we're already late for church. <clears throat> hey, Brian. Get yourself dressed. Did you pick up my stuff from the dry cleaners? Uh, ooh. Now that's meant to be kind of a funny look at maybe what some of your mornings looked like. If you're sitting here thinking, am I the only family that fought in the car on the way to church or other things? We walk in the door and we put on our masks, don't we? Everything is great. Everything looks good. But behind the scenes, everybody here is struggling at some point. Uh, now, for many, it's more serious than your son forgot his shoes or there's a minor blemish on your body. But the fact remains the same that we're all struggling. We're all dealing with something in our lives, our sins, our other things. And when you walk in here, if we're a place that puts up a mask and pretends like everything is great, then others who walk in here that had a morning like that or a week or a month or longer, that their life has been coming off the rails, they go, do I fit here? Do I belong here? It's one of the things people uh, just complain about churches. As I said, they make this excuse, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. And when I talk to somebody who, who tells me that, uh, you know, the human side wants to say, oh, well, you know, come anyway, there's room for more. But we talked a few weeks ago about having speech that's edifying and builds people up. So we don't do that, right? <laughs> what, what I will do instead is I'll say to the person, I'll say, have you ever eaten an apple? It looked really nice on the outside. You bit into it and you, oh, man, 
It's mushy. There's maybe even rotten. You're like, oh. And I go, oh, yeah, I've had bad, bad stuff like that. And I say, so you've sworn off all apples, right? You don't eat apple pie. You never had another apple. And they say, no. I said, that's right. When you find a, a hypocritical apple, you, you get rid of it, right? But you don't reject all apples. I said, it's the same thing. When you find a hypocritical Christian, when you find things that have been done in the name of Jesus that are not what he would have done, you don't reject Jesus Christ. What you do is you reject the hypocritical part. And the next time you are a little more, uh, and you, you inspect the apple a little more closely, you look, I said, the same thing. The next time you find a church that you think, am I going to go here? You say, is this really the real deal? I love what Reinhold Neuberger said once about the church. He said, the church is like Noah's Ark. You couldn't stand the stink inside if you didn't know about the storm outside. You know, Jesus Christ came into the world because of the mess it was in. And we are in the world and we make part of the mess. And what we've got to recognize is that the world is dead and dying outside. And it's not that this is a little safe haven, a little holy huddle, but we, we've got to be a church that recognizes we don't reject Jesus Christ. What we do is we ask, are we representing him in the way that we should, that we're not adding to the problem? During the days of Alexander the Great, there was a, a young soldier who was in his army, and he was standing night watch. And he was, as he was on the perimeter guarding the camp, uh, he fell asleep. Now his, his commander came along and he found this sentry asleep. And he grabbed this young man and he shook him awake and he said, what are you doing? He said, you've endangered the entire army. The enemy could have come in through your perimeter and, and they, they could have been attacked at night. And this young soldier was taken before Alexander the Great. It was a very serious offense. Everybody knew it was actually an offense worthy of death. As this young soldier stood before Alexander the Great and, and he was told what this young man had done, Alexander was angry and this young man was shaking in fear. He, he, he was waiting for the, the death sentence that would be given. And in a very rare moment of mercy, Alexander the Great looked at this young, shaking soldier and he decided to extend grace. And, and he said to this soldier, he said, what is your name? Now, sensing a change in heart in Alexander, the young soldier stood up straight, he squares his shoulders, and he said, Sir, my name is Alexander, just like yours. Well, hearing this, Alexander exploded. He jumped up out of his seat, and he, he looked at this young man, and he said, Young man, you either change your name or you change your ways. And as those who are Christians, as those who bear the name of Jesus Christ, what he says to us is not change your name. What he says is change your ways. Live in a way that represents me. Live in a way that is not hypocritical. Earlier I mentioned that Ananias and Sapphira lacked integrity. This word integrity or integrated literally means whole. It means to take all the pieces or parts and to put them together in a whole. And what happens sometimes is that as believers, we think we can compartmentalize Christianity. That we can act one way on a Sunday, we can be a different way at our Bible study midweek, we can be when we're around Christian friends living a certain way, but then when we're at work or we're with other non-believing friends or places where nobody knows who we are, we think we can act a different way. And friends, if you're living life trying to compartmentalize Christianity, I wonder if you've ever heard the story of the Titanic. The Titanic was said to be an unsinkable ship. 
And the reason it was thought to be unsinkable is because the engineers had designed it with these compartments. It was designed so that if for whatever reason there was ever uh, water that got into the ship through a hole or some other accident, that they could seal off the compartment and then the ship would sail along just as if nothing had happened. But as you know the story of the Titanic, the unsinkable ship one day went under. And the problem that came was these compartments that were supposed to be isolated from one another ended up with a domino effect where the water poured over the tops. And as the bow and all those compartments, the ship went under. And if you're sitting here in your life and you think Christianity is one compartment for Sunday morning or these events on my calendar, but it's something else, if you're living your life with compartmentalized Christianity, this is what's going to happen to you. That just as the Titanic suffered a catastrophic failure and sunk, your life will look like that. There will be a catastrophic failure that happens. We cannot compartmentalize our life. Our life is to be integrated. It's to be whole. If you're here and you think you can separate one area from another, you're going to find yourself like that ship. Now, it's not that if Christians were perfect, we still struggle. We still have sin in our life. Read 1 John 1.10. It says we're going to sin as Christians. Now, that's not an excuse. The difference between a hypocrite and a Christian is this. A Christian who's trying to live for the Lord says, God, I have a problem. There's a sin in my life. God, I need your help. I need to turn from it. I need to have, have you help me fix this. Change me. The word repentance literally means to stop, to turn around, and go back in the other direction. But what a hypocrite says is, I'm going to put on the mask. I'm going to put on the veneer. I'm going to fake it. I'm going to hide it. I'm going to, I'm going to take this sin, and I'm not going to try to deal with it. I'm just going to try to deceive others and act as if it's not there. And as we do that, not only is it damaging to the name of Christ, not only is it deadly to ourselves ultimately, but it's something that is just plain exhausting. If you've ever tried to play the game, you know how complicated it gets. You start trying to remember, how am I supposed to act with who, what lie did I tell where, and you, you almost have to, you, you start piling on all these layers of this web of deception, and you're exhausted. Many of you know what that's like. You go to a, like a corporate function, some business party or something, and what do you think in the whole time? I don't want to be here, but you see the person, you put on the smile, you hold up the mask, and oh, that's really, you act like you're really interested in what's going on, you're playing the game and pretending, and the whole time you're thinking, I just want to be at home in my PJ, sitting on the couch comfortable, rather than being here, right? And some of you come to church and you feel the same way. You leave here exhausted, and it's because you came and you put on the mask and you're pretending and you're worn out by playing the game. And you think it's, it'd be so much easier just to stay home in my PJs on the couch. But if you come here and you recognize church for what it's supposed to be, not a, a trophy case of perfect people, but a, a hospital where we help each other, uh, a hospital where we bring healing, a place where when you come in here weighted down with the, the weight of the world and the sin and the guilt and the things you've been dealing with, God says, nail it to the cross, leave it here. He doesn't want you walking out of here carrying the guilt. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, quit playing the game, quit carrying the load. Be real as a church, be real as people. This is a place it should be where we can come in and say we're struggling. And you'll find other people who are, who are like Barnabas. 
that we talked about two weeks ago, that son of encouragement who will come alongside you and will help you and will, will carry the load if you remember what we saw in that message. Now, what happens is sometimes we're afraid, Roger, if I'm real, then I'm going to be rejected. If people really knew who I was, they wouldn't want to be around me. If, if God really knew about me, then he would reject me. Friends, let me let you in on a secret. He knows all about you. Remember 1 Samuel 16, 7, God sees the heart, not the externals. He knows everything about you and me. He knows all our sin. And you know what he says about it? Read Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't reject us. He didn't run from us. He went to the cross and he spread his arms and he died to pay that penalty of death for us. Now maybe you're thinking, but Roger, okay, fine. God loves me. God won't reject me. But uh, if you really knew about me, you'd run from me. I don't think so. And I can say that based upon a couple of things. One is I've been in the ministry for more than 20 years as a senior pastor. And before that, I was a police officer. And I can guarantee that there is not a story you can tell me that I've not heard similar details before. And you're saying, oh, no, I got something to beat. No, you don't. You don't know all the things I've seen and heard. And I can tell you this. There is not a single situation, not a single story I've ever heard the most debauchery that you can think of in terms of detail that the love of God was not able to cover it and deal with it. And if you're here and you're afraid that you'll be rejected because of who you are and what you've done, you need to come to the cross. You need to lay it down. You need to say to God, God, I've made a mess of my life and I don't know what to do. Will you help me? Now, as I said, there's not a story I haven't heard, details I haven't shared. Well, I'm not going to share those details with you. I mean, I know some of your stories, and you're sitting there squirming right now saying, he's not going to talk about me, is he? He's not going to say what, what happened. No, I'm not. But I am going to share a story with you, one that is public knowledge, one that came out in 2008 on both national and international TV. It started in Australia, and it went to the international circuit. It's about a guy by the name of Mike Guglielmucci. He was, he was a pastor's kid, and he was the worship leader for Hillsong. Many of you know who Hillsong is. It's not only a church in Australia, but there's a famous uh, band that travels. They do these concerts worldwide. And Mike wrote a song called Healer, and the song Healer became a worldwide hit. The, the story behind the song, it was supposedly written out of uh, the, the things that Mike was dealing with. In September of 2006, he was in a minor car accident. He went into the hospital, and he came out from his hospital stay, and he, he said to uh, the church and the world, I've, I've got cancer. They found terminal cancer in my body, and I'm dying. And out of the depth of that struggle with cancer, he wrote this song called Healer. And it became uh, not only the lead song on the album, but it became the anthem of the tour that Hillsong was on. And it, it shot to the top of the charts and it stayed there for two full years. And as the concerts would happen, people would come to this, um, come to this song and the, the crowd would be weeping. People would be praying for him, asking for, for God to heal him. And as he performed this song, it became even more powerful because he was 
outwardly struggling with the signs of his battle with cancer. Here he is performing the song wearing an oxygen mask. He would sometimes come out with a cane. Uh, later, he came out bald, all of his hair and his beard was gone. And, and he, he, the song was so much more powerful, people thought, because here was a man suffering through cancer, suffering, yet he was still praising God. But in 2008, uh, Mike came out and he told the world that he did not have cancer. Now, the initial reaction was, praise God, a miracle had happened. The tens of thousands of people who had been praying for his healing, he was healed. But actually what he said is, I don't have cancer and I never did. And he told the story behind why he claimed he had cancer. You see, the real story was Mike was dealing with a 16-year battle with pornography. He was a pastor's kid. He was viewing pornography in his father's home without his mom and dad knowing about it. Then he became a, a pastor and a worship leader at Hillsong and other places. And, and he would binge on pornography, and he would feel so guilty that he couldn't come to church. He couldn't come and do his job, so he would call in sick. And as the sick days began to mount, people were saying, what's going on with you, Mike? What's, you know? So he comes up with this cover story of, I have cancer. And one lie led to another, to another, to another. And he got so deep in it, and as it became this national and international sensation, he didn't know what to do. Well, finally, in 2008, two years of hiding behind the mask, just having this life of lies, he said, it's too much. And he confessed his sin. He confessed what he had done. Now, as you think about his song and the words behind it, these are some of the words. You hold my very moment. You calm my raging seas. You walk with me through fire and heal all my disease. I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you. I believe you're my healer. I believe you're all I need. I believe you're more than enough for me. Jesus, you're all I need. And those are powerful words. Powerful words that tell a story of God's healing that is available. Others were led to believe that, that Mike needed to be healed of cancer, but the truth was he needed to be healed of a much deeper disease. Not just the addiction to pornography, but the, the facade, the mask, the deception that he put up. And as one thing piled upon another. As you think about your own life this morning, is there anybody here that needs to be healed? Maybe of a disease, for all of us of that disease called sin, maybe one of deception, those of us who are living a hypocritical life, representing ourselves one way publicly, we're privately, we live in another way. Now, the details of your story may not look the same. And as you think about your story, you may be afraid to share what you've been hiding because of the consequences. And friends, there are consequences that come. For Mike, he lost his job. He lost his ministry. His family was damaged. The name of Christ was dragged through the mud. Everybody said, oh, another Christian hypocrite. But as Mike finally came clean, as he finally let his sin be known, as he confessed that sin, as 1 John 1, 9 says, when we confess our sin, God is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Mike indeed began to be healed, not from cancer, but from a deeper disease in his life of deception. What about you this morning? Is there something you need to be healed of? 
Is it time to drop your mask to be real with God or others in your life? Is there something you need to confess this morning? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up here on the platform. As we end today, we're going to sing this song, Healer. And as we sing this song, I want you to make it your prayer today. I want you to take a few moments now as we prepare to sing this song and just to think about your life, to think about the lie you may be hiding behind, the mask you may be wearing this morning, the stuff you've been deceiving others. And this morning to drop your mask, to make this song your prayer to God, to ask him for his help, to help you change, to help you be real, to help you to be those who are, who are willing to take the risk and even deal with some of the consequences that may come for your mistake. But as you do so, God will be there to bring forgiveness and healing in your life. And as a church, as a community of believers, there will be others here to walk alongside you and help you with some of the things that you've dealt with. As you lay it before the throne this morning, as you bring it to God. So I want you to take and make this song your prayer this morning. I want you to stand now where you are and to sing this song as your prayer to God.